If you've got your Bible or your phone or whatever it is that you uh, you use to have the Scriptures with you this morning, I ask you to get it and turn to Psalm 110. Psalm 110. We're going to talk about the rewards for Easter this morning. The rewards for Easter. And I'm talking about His reward and our reward. As um, the song was sung just a few minutes ago, um, Savannah, you did a good job on that. You made me believe it. That was a good song. But uh, she said, why should I gain from His reward? I can't give an answer. But this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. We are going to gain from His reward. And so um, I am so thankful this morning that when we talk about the rewards for Easter this morning, we're going to be talking about both the rewards that Christ receives and the rewards that we receive because we inherit it with Him. We share in His reward. So uh, if you have your Bibles and you're able to stand, let's, uh, let's stand together and read the living and powerful Word of God. Psalm 110, we'll read the entire psalm. It says at the top, Sit at my right hand, a psalm of David. Verse 1, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garment. From the womb of the morning, the dew of, the, of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change His mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand, and He will shatter kings on the day of His wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs, or shatter the head, some, some versions say, over the wide earth, and He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, He will lift up His head. You can be seated. Today in Psalm 110, we, um, we're looking at what um, most scholars call one of the royal psalms. And royal psalms are, are simply psalms that use um, royal imagery when they're talking about it. They're usually addressed to kings in some way. So like... Um, if, just another example, if you were to go to Psalm 45, and we've studied that when it's been a while back, but it talks about um, him, the, the king girding his sword on his side and the king uh, riding mightily in, in the chariot or on, on horses. And so it uses imagery of, of royalty. And so one of the things that we see in royal psalms is sometimes we see uh, prayers that are being prayed for the king. Sometimes we see laments that are being expressed because of a defeat that the king has experienced or a sickness that the king has. Um, sometimes we see rejoicing for the king because of victories or because of um, uh, some success in their life of, of some way. But the royal psalms are always addressed to kings in some way. Now the thing that's special about this psalm is that this is a royal psalm but it is um, in no way, no way toward an earthly king whatsoever. All the other psalms that are royal that we read are psalms that are addressed to 
to earthly kings, to David or to, um, or to some other king of Israel in some way. But this psalm we know is not addressed to any particular earthly king of Israel. It is to somebody much greater than an earthly king. One of the reasons we know that is because Jesus Himself actually taught this psalm. Um, he preached a message on this psalm. Now we don't get the full record of it, but we get the tidbit of it. Like for instance, if you were to go to Mark chapter 12, verse 35 through 36 with me. In Mark chapter 12, verse 35 through 36, it says, Jesus taught in the temple and He said, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the Son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, and then he quotes the Scripture. Now remember, he's asking the question, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the Son of David? So all the scribes taught that the, that the Christ was going to be the Son of David. Now, was that a correct teaching? Yeah, absolutely. He was going to come from the lineage of David. But what, what Jesus wanted these scribes and these Pharisees to understand is that Jesus was not just, or the Christ, was not just going to be a fleshly king. Remember, the Jews were looking for a Messiah that was going to come and He was going to reign as king and He was going to come in and overthrow the Romans or the Persians or whoever it was that, that were oppressing the Jews at that time. And so they were looking for this fleshly king that's going to come in and be this victorious conqueror. But Jesus comes in and He wants them to understand, you're looking for the wrong thing. Yes, the Christ is going to be the son of David, but He points them back to Psalm 110 because they knew that Psalm 110 was about far more than just an earthly king. It was about the Messiah. It was about the Christ. And so Jesus preaches this message from Psalm 110. And He says, David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. So one of the things that Jesus wanted them to understand is that Psalm 110 is about a much greater king than David because David never ascended to the right hand of God. And David is no other, no other earthly king has. David is dead and in the grave. And he wanted them to understand that the Messiah that Psalm 110 is about is about somebody that God says to them, come up here and sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. So again, Psalm 19 is about the Psalm 110 is about the Christ. Alright, now if you were to go with me to Acts chapter 2. Verse 32 through 37. Peter also preached this psalm at Pentecost. So remember, we have the New Testament today, right? What did they have? All they had was the Old Testament. And so if they're going to preach Christ, they have to preach it from the Old Testament. So Peter preaches and he tells them about Jesus. He says, listen, this Jesus God raised up. And of that... We are all witnesses. In other words, Peter's saying, we saw it with our own eyes. So being therefore exalted at the right hand of God. Notice that word, therefore. In other words, we saw Him raised from the dead, and we saw Him raised up to the right hand of God. Remember, they watched Jesus as He ascended from the earth to the Father, right? They saw this. 
And so when they saw this, Peter is preaching to these Jews at Pentecost and he says, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured this out on you that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then he wants them to understand, this can't be about David. This has to be about Christ. Why? Because David did not ascend into the heavens. But David himself said this, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Keep going with me. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain. How can we know for certain? Because Psalm 110 told us that the Messiah was going to ascend to the right hand of God. And what did Jesus do that they saw with their very own eyes? Exactly what Psalm 110. So the point I'm making with all this is that all of the New Testament writers, the Gospels, Jesus Himself, uh, Peter, even Paul says he teaches about this. This psalm is quoted more times in the New Testament, I think, than most any other psalm. But he says, you can know for certain that God has made Him both Lord, that's going to be important here in a few minutes, so keep that in mind. God has made Jesus both Lord, and God has made Him Christ, the Messiah. This Jesus whom you crucified. And then here's the response when they saw Psalm 110 fulfilled in Jesus. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what do we do? So in other words, all the Jews understood Psalm 110 was not about any earthly king. They always knew this is about Jesus Christ. Let me show you one more example. In Matthew 26, verse 63 through 68. Excuse me, my allergies are acting up. This is where Jesus is being put on trial for um, claiming to be the Christ. And it says in verse 63, Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, you have said so. In other words, I'm not just going to come out and tell you that I'm the Christ because you just said it. However, I will tell you this. And listen to what Jesus told him. From now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power, and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? And they answered, He deserves death. What in the world did Jesus say? Here's all He said. Psalm 110. It's about me. That's all Jesus said. All Jesus said is, hey, you remember that Scripture about the Lord said to my Lord, come up here and sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool? Well, I'm not going to tell you I'm the Christ. But here's what I'll tell you. From now on, you will see me seated at the right hand of the Father. And then you're going to see me coming on the clouds of glory. And when they heard this, because they knew that Psalm 110 was about the Messiah, the high priest tore his robe and said, Blasphemy! 
And everybody there said, He deserves to die. Why? Because He just said He's the Messiah. And guess what? He was. <clears throat> Here's the point. Everybody that knew the Old Testament knew that Psalm 110 was about the Messiah. This wasn't just a bunch of people looking back now that they've seen Jesus do this and this and saying, okay, now we believe that this is about the Messiah. No, they knew it when David prophesied that this was not about, uh, about an earthly king. This was about the coming Christ, the Son of David, the one who would ascend to the right hand of the Father, the great I Am, the Messiah, Jesus Christ Himself. So, with that being said, let's look today at Psalm 110, and I want you to see the rewards that Jesus gets for Easter. For His death, burial, and resurrection, these are the rewards that Jesus gets and we get to share in. Alright, so in verses 1-3, through three, if you're taking notes, I didn't tell you all this, but I've actually got sermon outlines up here. <laughs> but um, you can pick one up after it's over with. But if you're taking notes here, verses 1-3, through three, we're going to be talking about the appointed king. Alright? Verse 4 is going to be about the appointed priest. And verse 5 through 7 is going to be about the appointed judge. So that's your outline and that's what we're going to follow this morning. So let's take verses 1 through 3 first and let's look at the appointed king of all. Alright, so in verse 1, notice what it says. The Lord says to my Lord. Now remember, this is a psalm of David, right? Is there anybody in Israel that is greater than David? He's the king. There is no one greater. So when David writes this, imagine the king saying, the Lord says to my Lord. That says something right there. We're talking about two different people here because somebody is speaking to somebody else and David hears the conversation. And then he writes, this is what the Lord said to my Lord. And now the, understand this, you and I, because the English language has took so many of the different Hebrew terms and combined them into one word, we just see it and we read Lord and we put it all into one beautiful little package. But what you need to understand is when the Hebrews read this, they saw it as two completely different people. The Lord is Yahweh, the, the self-existing one, the great I Am. And He said to my Lord, which is the Hebrew word Adonai, and that simply means the sovereign one, the master of all, the king of all, the ruler of all. So think about this. God the Father, the self-existing one, the great I Am, said to the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the master of all, the sovereign ruler of all things. He said to him, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. The first thing we see this is we see the honor of the king. So if you put in footnotes under this, you can see verse 1 is about the honor of the king. Now why do I say that? Think about the name that he says to him right here. Now, in previous scriptures, this name, both, both Yahweh 
and Adonai, which meant the sovereign one or the king of kings, both of those names were typically applied to God alone. Not God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, just God. The Godhead, if you will. For instance, in um, I don't know if I gave them the Scripture or not, Psalm chapter 8 verse 1. Did I give you that? Psalm chapter 8 verse 1. You don't have to go there. But if you turn there, you'll see that it starts out, O Lord, our Lord. How majestic is... There it is. O Lord, our Lord. How majestic is Your name in all the earth. So here we have two different terms. We have Lord in all caps that lets us know that this is the Hebrew term Yahweh. Again, the personal name for God. The self-existing one. The one that created all things. And then when you see Lord in lowercase letters, this is the term Adonai, which means King of Kings, Lord of Lords, the Master, the Ruler of all. And so he says here, O Yahweh, our Sovereign Ruler, our King of Kings, how majestic is Your name in all the earth. It's applied to just the Godhead. But when we get to Psalm 110, we see two people. We see the Lord Yahweh, who says to my Lord, Adonai, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Until I make your enemies. You see the difference? What we're looking at here is two different people. This is one of the first passages that really helps us see the Trinity that we explain. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. And what you have here is God the Father says to God the Son, but He gives Him a name. And this name is Adonai. Adonai, King of kings, Lord of lords, ruler of all, sovereign and supreme over everything. Now why is that important? Go with me to Philippians chapter 2, verses 8-11, through 11, and look what Paul said. Because of Easter, look what God did for Jesus. Jesus being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, what does that word therefore mean? Because of His obedience to death on the cross, therefore, look what God has done for Him. God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus, and what we're talking about here is the name Adonai, is the name um, in which you'll, you'll see here in a minute in the New Testament, Kyrios is what it is in the Greek. But don't let me lose you with that. Just here's the point. The reward for Jesus is He has a name now that whether you like it or not, you can rebel as much as you want to. But there is coming a day when His name is mentioned, you know what your knee is going to do? Whether in heaven, whether on earth, or whether under the earth, the name that Jesus has given Him, or that God has given Him, when it is spoken, you're going to bow. Everything is going to bow. Satan himself will bow when this name is spoken. And every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is, 
And here we have this word again. Now again, in the New Testament, because we go from Hebrew language to Greek language, we go from Adonai to Kyrios. But it's the same thing. It just simply means that every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord of all lords, the King of all kings, the supreme ruler, the master of all. And this is the honor and the reward that has been placed on Jesus as King. God appoints Him as King and He says, everything is going to bow to you. You are going to be ruler and supreme over it all. And God the Father says this to God the Son. And it's going to be to the glory of who? It all goes back to the glory of God the Father. All right. so now the first thing we see is His honor. He's given a name that is above every other name. Just a few examples of this. Look with me at Mark chapter 16 verse 19. The gospel writers knew this because here's the way they would write. So then, they didn't just say, so then Jesus, after He had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven. Instead, they added the name to Him. They said, so then the Lord Jesus, the Adonai Jesus, the Kyrios Jesus. In other words, the King of King Jesus, the Lord of Lords Jesus, the Master of all Jesus, the One whom every tongue is going to confess that this is who He is, Jesus, this is the One we're talking about. Other examples would be John chapter 21, verse 7. That disciple whom Jesus loved, talking about John here, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now here's what happened. You're going to see a lot of this, all right? They're fishing at night. They think he's dead, all right? They've gone fishing. They've gone back to their old jobs, and they have fished all night, and what have they caught? Nothing. And then this man comes on the shore and he hollers out to him and he says, Have you caught anything? No. Why don't you cast your net on the other side of the boat? What's this man talking about? We have fished all night. This side, that side, why does it matter? Just cast your net on the other side of the boat. They cast their net on the other side of the boat. You remember what happened? They draw in so many fish that they can't can't get them all in. And here's what happened. The disciple whom Jesus loved said when he saw this, he said at what had happened, he said, it is who? It is Adonai. It is Kyrios. It is the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. This is the great I Am in the flesh. And he says, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, the Adonai, He put on his outer garment for he had stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. Again, they see him for who he is and they call him by the name that has been bestowed on him that is above every other name. And we see that. Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 11, 23. Don't go there, but in Acts chapter 2, 36. Again, this is what he said in Acts chapter 2, verse 36. He said, therefore you can know for certain that God has made this Jesus both Lord and Christ. In other words, when you read it in their tongue, He says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made Him both Adonai, 
the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Master, the Sovereign Ruler, and God has made Him the Messiah, the Savior of the world. God has made it. How do we know that? Because Psalm 110 was written about Him and we saw Him go up to the right hand of the Father. We saw Him fulfill Psalm 110. And so all the Jews should understand, if you believe this, that's Him. God has made Him Adonai. God has made Him the Christ. And so we see His honor. We also see His honor when He says, sit at my right hand. You remember in the, um, in the Bible where Jesus told a story about a great feast that was given, and He said, when a great feast is given, don't go in and take the highest seat. Because what if someone greater than you comes in and they have to ask you to get up so that this person can sit down? How's that going to make you feel? He says, but instead, when you go into the feast, you find the lowest seat in the house. Because if you are to be honored, the master of that house is going to come to you then and say, what are you doing in this seat? Come up here and sit in this seat. Well, here's what you need to understand. The highest seat of highest honor in any person's house was at his right hand. If it was a wedding, no matter what it was. You remember when um, the sons of thunder, James and John, came to Jesus and they said, hey, we want to ask you for something. He said, okay, ask me. They said, we want you to say that we can have the places of honor. One of us to sit at your right and one of us to sit at your left in your glory. And Jesus said to him, that's not mine to give. That's not mine to give. The point of it was this. They knew that to be seated at the side, especially at the right side, was a place of highest honor. And so the Lord Yahweh says to Adonai, come up here and sit at my right hand. The place of the highest honor. The place of the highest power. And I want you to be king over all. And I want you to be ruler over all. Why? Because of Easter. Because you were obedient to death. Because you gave your life a ransom for many. Because you have saved so many sinners from eternal death you come up here and you have the place of the highest honor and the greatest power. This is why Paul said, and i got a lot of reference scriptures for you, but this is why Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20 through 22, that there's a power that he worked in Christ when he raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in heavenly places, far above, so here's, here's where it describes the honor that you get and the power you get at the right hand of God. It is far above all rule. Why? Because He's Adonai. He's Kyrios. He is the God of gods and the Lord of lords. And the place of honor that He's been given is so far above all rule, all authority, every power, every dominion. It's above every name that is named not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And He put all things under His feet and gave Him His head over all things. To the You see where Paul's going with this? Paul understands from Psalm 110 that this is what Jesus has been rewarded with because of what He's done. Jesus is the Lord of lords and the King of kings and He has been given that name so that there is no other name and there is no other power that is greater than His name and His power and there is no greater honor than the honor that's been appointed to Him. Next in verse 1, we see His long-suffering. 
And I know y'all saying to me right now, we ain't even got past verse 1. Amen. Amen. But look at His long-suffering. His long-suffering. Notice what He says next. Sit at my right hand. What's that next word? Until. Until I make. This is God the Father speaking to Adonai. God the Son, right? God the Father is saying, I am going to make all of your enemies your footstool. I'm going to do that. God the Father said the full force of Almighty God is going to be behind you when you come back. And I am going to make all your enemies your footstool. But until then, just sit right here for a little while. What I see there is that this king is long-suffering. Why does he have to sit there until he makes all of his enemies his footstool? Because that word until means there's a period of time that enemies have the opportunity to become his people. There is a period of time right now that the enemies of the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, all the ones that would rebel against His authority and go your own way, there's coming a day that you're going to become His footstool. But until then, He's long-suffering. Until then, He's waiting. Paul told us in Romans chapter 2, I think it's verse 4, he said, do you despise the riches of God's kindness? Do you despise the riches of God's forbearance and the riches of His patience? Not knowing that His kindness and patience are meant to lead you to repentance? In other words, right now you are in a time of grace. A time that even if you're His enemy, He's waiting. Even though He is King of kings and Lord of lords and has complete authority over you, He's waiting. And He's giving you kindness. And He's giving you patience and forbearance. And Paul says to the Romans, don't you presume on that. Don't you despise that. This kindness and this forbearance is meant to lead you to repentance. And if you will recognize that God is long-suffering and that He is King of kings and that He has all power and all rule and that one day you're going to surrender to Him one way or the other. If you recognize that right now, it's meant to lead you to repentance so that you don't experience His foot being on your neck. Because notice again what he says at the end of it, until I make your enemies your footstool. Now this is important because in Joshua chapter 10, verse 24 through 25, we see an image of this. And when they brought those kings, they were at battle. They had just defeated Ai. And they, they have got these kings that are on the run. And they bring these kings out when they capture them. And when they bring them out to Joshua, Joshua summoned all the men of Israel and he said to the chiefs of the men of war who had gone with him, come near and do what? Put your feet on the necks of these kings. Then they came near and put their feet on their necks. And Joshua said to them, Do not be afraid, do not, do not be dismayed, be strong and courageous, for thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. What's He going to do? He's going to put their necks under your feet. This is what this image in Psalms is. 
There is coming a day. Now there's a period of patience right now, but church, listen to me guys. If you don't repent from your sin and quit serving the lords that you serve and surrender to the Lord of lords and the King of kings, if you don't do that now, there is coming a day when your neck is going to be under His foot. And all of His enemies are going to be His footstool. You see the image here? He's got His feet propped up on so many enemies that they've become not just His feet on a neck, but His feet on a footstool of enemies. Today is the day that He warns you. One day every enemy is going to be under my feet. But my kindness is still here today. Until He makes the enemies His footstool, you still have opportunity to to be a part of this. All right, verse uh, 3. And you can see it in verse 2 again. We'll we'll just skip through verse 2. It says, The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. So again, that's just talking about the fact that He is going to rule over all of His enemies. And that right now is a period of waiting, a period of patience, a period of long-suffering. In verse 3, we see His people. Here's a reward. His people. He is rewarded with the people who offer themselves freely. They volunteer. You know how many people um, in the world have not had the opportunity to volunteer to be under a certain king? But instead, they're under whatever rule they're under whether it's a, a, a tyrant or no matter what it is, they have to submit to whatever rule they're under. Here, the people of Jesus, He says that these people, He's going to be given a people that gladly surrender to Him. That gladly lay down their rebellious sins and their arms and in surrender they come to Him and they volunteer freely to Him. Look at verse 3. Your people will offer themselves freely on your day of power. Your people will offer yourselves freely. Let me ask you a question. What is a king with no people? Here, and this is one reason why God created this people. He wanted a people that would worship Him and love Him and see Him for who He is and rejoice in Him and enjoy Him. And yet instead we said, no, we'd rather have all this stuff down here. You go your way and we'll go ours. Instead, because of what Jesus has done on Easter, His death, burial, and resurrection, because He is the Lord of lords seated at the right hand of the power, because He is going to conquer all of His enemies one day with the full force of God, because of that, what we see in this is we see that God gives Him a people. A people that offer themselves freely. And they love Jesus the way that Jesus loves us. Listen, let me tell you something. John told us in uh, 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. He said, we know how to love because God first loved us. That's why we love. Because, In other words, because we have experienced the kind of love that Jesus has for me, I love Him. I love Him. I happily submit to Him. I freely offer myself to Him. This is something that He is rewarded with the people who love Him the way that He loves us. Now, do we do that perfectly now? No. 
But there is coming a day that God gives us all completely new hearts, new minds, new spirits. He gives us the capacity to be able to see Him for who He is and love Him the way that He loves us. And this is a reward that Jesus gets. And we get to share in that reward because number one, we get to rule with Him. The Bible actually teaches us that you are going to rule with the ruler of all. If every knee bows to Jesus, guess who else it bows to? That's not blasphemy. That's the Bible. You will rule with Jesus Christ. And so we get to share in this people too. This people that, notice what He says next, they offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. We're new creations. He takes our sin and He kills it on the cross. He takes His righteousness and He gives it to us. And we offer ourselves to Him freely in holy garments, in new creations, in people that have been made new in Jesus Christ. And then next we see the appointed priest in verse 4. Verse 4, we see the appointed priest. And we notice that He is appointed priest for how long? You are priest. Forever. Forever. Now listen, here's the reason it's this important. It's because in the, in the Old Testament, when you see the priest, the priest's role was to stand between a holy God and sinful man. And his job was to offer sacrifices for the sins of man. And his job was to offer up prayer for man. And he always was the mediator between a holy God and a sinful people. Now the problem with it is that in the Old Covenant, the priest's job was never done. It was never done because the sacrifices were never enough. God never approved fully of the sacrifices that were being given. Instead, all it did was pointed toward what Jesus was going to do in His death, burial, and resurrection. And so what we see in this is that if God says to him, and God has sworn to him, Notice in verse 4, Yahweh has sworn and He will not change His mind. And this is what He swore to Adonai, to Jesus. You are a priest forever, but not according to the old order. According to the order of Melchizedek. And I'll give you a real quick rundown of what that means. In uh, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1-3, through we actually get an idea of who this Melchizedek is. And basically, he's the first priest that we ever hear of in the Bible before the Old Testament law is ever laid down. But look at this quick explanation. For Melchizedek, king of Salem... Now this is important because you're going to find here in a minute in the next verse that Salem means peace. So that means he's king of peace, right? Another thing you're going to understand is that Salem actually later becomes Jerusalem. Same place. And you can see that in Psalm 76 verse 2. Don't go there, but if you're writing it down, you can find that for certain. Salem becomes Jerusalem. Well, there it is. His abode has been established in Salem and His dwelling place in Zion. And still, the two point is that both of them are the same place. Salem and Zion, Jerusalem, it's all the same place. But go back to this. He is a king of peace and Jerusalem. He is the priest of the Most High God. And here we see that 
He doesn't use the covenant name of Yahweh here, so he's not just priest to the Jews, because before the Jews were ever created, this guy was priest, so that means he's priest for who? Everybody. Jesus is not just priest for Jews like the Levites were. Jesus is priest of peace. He's the king of peace. Jesus is the priest of every person. And this Melchizedek met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings, and he blessed him. And to to Abraham, he apportioned a tenth of everything. Or to him, Abraham gave him a tenth. He is first, by translation of his name, the king of righteousness. So first off, his his name means that he's a king of all righteousness. And then... He is also the king of Salem, that is the king of peace, All right, And he is without father, mother, genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but he resembles the Son of God and he continues a priest forever. Let's put it all together very simply. Here's all you need to understand about Melchizedek. First off, we don't know where he comes from, we don't know where he goes. As far as we know, he began a priest and he's still a priest. Same as Jesus, alright? And He has no beginning of days and no end of life. And so basically, He is the beginning and He is the end. He's the Alpha, He's the Omega, just like Christ. And then we also see that He is the King of righteousness. And so He is the one that is able to give out righteousness. He is the King of peace. He's the one that's able to give out peace. And so what we have here is we have a priest that is able to minister to all men, able to give righteousness to all men, able to give peace to all men between God and man. He is a priest that had no beginning and has no end, and so he continues a priest forever. Now why is that important? Because since you have come to the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, have you done everything perfect? Do you still sin? Shame on you. Me too. Me too. But you know the good news? My priest is not standing in a temple continuously offering sacrifice for my sins every time I do them. I don't have to keep coming back, keep coming back, keep coming back. My priest is sitting down. You know why my priest is sitting down? Because His work is finished. Notice what Paul says in Hebrews chapter um, 10, I believe it is. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11 through 14. Every priest stands, how often? Daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices. But what's the problem with them? Their sacrifices can never take away sin. And that's why they have to keep giving it over and over and over because it's never enough. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, look what He did. That's why the Lord said to my Lord, come up here and sit down. Your work is complete. Your work is accepted. Your work is approved. For all time He offered a single sacrifice for sins and He sat down at the right hand of God. And look at verse 13. Waiting from that time until His enemies should be made His footstool. 
Four, and here's why he's sitting down. Because by a single offering, y'all listen to this church, you need this this morning. By a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Do you know that when God saved you and when Jesus died, He died for all of your sins? He died for your past sins. He died for your present sins. And He even died for the sins that you have not even committed yet. And when He did it, He perfected... What does it mean to be perfect? He perfected those for all time. What does all time mean? Is there ever going to come a time that if you are a born-again Christian that you're going to sin and God's going to say, well, I'm done. (laughs) Is there ever going to come a time where you're going to say, well, I didn't know you were going to do that. And so based on you doing that, now I'm out. I'm pulling my cards. I'm, I'm, I'm I'm drawing out. Is that time ever going to come? Why? Because a offering has been given. One time. Single offering. That perfected. For all time, those who are being sanctified. You want to know how you're perfect? You want to know how to know if you're perfect or not? It ain't whether or not you're sinless. Are you being sanctified? Do you see the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in your life? Do you see that He's working in you? And do you see that that He's putting off things that don't belong and He's putting on things that do? And if you see those things, then you can rest assured... He has perfected you for all time. Not because of what you've done or didn't do, because of what He's done. And because God has approved it. And so when God looks at you, He doesn't see your sin. He sees the blood. He sees the sacrifice that was given on your behalf. This is the reason why the Apostle Paul said in Hebrews chapter 4, he said... We don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have a high priest who was tempted in every way, even as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, you should come boldly to the throne room of grace. What is grace? Undeserved mercy. You should come boldly to the throne room of grace. Why? To receive mercy in your time of need. When do you need mercy? But what do we usually do whenever we mess up? Do we usually come boldly to the throne room of grace to say, Jesus, thank You for Your sacrifice. God, forgive me. I'm sorry. God, I repent. Do we keep doing that? Or what do we typically do when we mess up? Try to hide away in a hole. Quit praying. Quit reading the Bible. Quit going to church. Right? And... Here, you need to understand something. One of Jesus' rewards for Easter is God appointed Him a priest forever for a people that He has given righteousness to, for a people that He has given peace to, for a people that He is sanctifying and perfected for all time by His sacrifice, and God approved it. How do we know that? Because He sat down. And now He's just waiting. Because His work is finished. Guys, 
You don't have to work. The work is done. What you have to do is trust Him. Believe. Follow Him. Surrender to Him. Drop your rebellion. And when you sin, you come boldly to the throne room of grace to receive mercy in time of need because He is a priest forever. Finally, one last scripture on that. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1-2. through 2. Look at what this says. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. So what's the goal? The, the goal is that we, we don't sin. But, <laughs> I, love, I love when we have this in there. But, if anyone does sin, guess what? We have an advocate with Father. You know what an advocate is? It's one who pleads on your behalf. Guys, if you don't think this is a reward, that Jesus gets a people and we get a high priest because of what He's done. And He says here, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And He is the propitiation for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Of anyone that will come to Him for forgiveness. Verses 5-7, through seven, I'll go through these very quickly. Look in Psalm 110. Verse 5-7, through seven, we see the appointed judge, the appointed judge of the world. And notice what he says in verse 5. The Lord, and here we have little letters, so we're talking about Adonai, right? The Lord, Adonai, is at your right hand. That's where He's at right now. And He will. What does will mean? He will. That's future tense, right? He will shatter kings on the day of His wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations. He will fill them with corpses. He will shatter the heads or the chiefs here over the whole wide earth. And He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, He will lift up His head. And what you have here is a picture of a pursuing army, of a king that's leading an army and he's pursuing his enemies. And he is tracking them down and he's shattering the kings that are rebelling against him. He's shattering the nations of people that are rebelling against Him. And He is crushing them with a rod of iron like a, like a, a clay vessel, if you will. And we'll read about that here in just a second too. But the point here is this. Along the way, He stops and He drinks from the brook. He refreshes Himself. And then He gets up and He pursues until He lifts His head. And I'll show you those Scriptures. But let me read Psalm chapter 2 with you real quick so that you see this image and how He fulfills it. Psalm chapter 2 verse 1, He says, Why do the nations rage and people's plot in vain? In other words, why are y'all rebelling? Why are y'all doing this? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed our kings doing that here lately? our rulers, our chiefs. And here's what they say. Let us burst their bonds apart and cast them away. Cast their cords away from us. And he who sits in the heavens, you know what he does? He laughs and he holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath. And he will terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. 
You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings... What's the message to the kings? Biden? Harris? Pelosi? Shall I go on? Be wise and be warned. Right now, He's waiting until you become under His feet. But right now, the warning is you better be wise and you better be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling and kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way. For His wrath is kindled quickly, but blessed are all who take refuge in Him. He is the appointed judge of the earth. And God is going to send Him with the full power of God behind Him. And He will shatter kings. He will execute judgment among the nations and fill them with corpses. And He will shatter the heads over the whole wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way, and therefore He will lift up His head. And that's just a picture of victory. And I'm not going to take you to the Scriptures this morning to show you that. But the point is that He will be victorious. And so what do we do with all of these rewards of Easter? What do we do? How do we apply that this morning? i got three things. First one, since God has made Jesus the King of all, if that is true, and do you believe it's true? Well, then wouldn't you think it'd be a good idea to kiss the Son? To agree to His terms now? To surrender to Him? To quit living your own way? To quit living in your own sin? And to surrender? To confess the Lord? There's some of you this morning that have never made that public profession of faith to say, I confess the Lord Jesus with my mouth. And I believe in my heart that God has raised Him from the dead. And I believe because of that, I will be saved. Today would be the greatest day in your life if you would kiss the Son and you would drop your rebellious arms and you would say, Lord Jesus, I surrender to the King of kings, to the Adonai, to the Kyrios, to the Lord of lords, to the supreme authority over all things. I bow to the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus and that the name of Lord... Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that He is Adonai. That He is the Lord of lords. Today would be the best day for you to love Him the way that He loves you. Second thing, since He is the high priest appointed for us, maybe you should come boldly to Him today. Maybe if you're one of those people that gets down in your sin and, you, and, you, and you, won't, you won't get up and all you can do is bow your head. Maybe the day's the day you need to see Him as the one that had perfected you for all time by His single sacrifice. Maybe you need to see that His work is complete. If it wasn't, He would still be standing, offering over and over again. But He's not. You're not crucifying Him again. You're not killing Him. I know there's been preachers preach that. You crucify Him all over again. No, you're not. No, you're not. He died one time. For all time. And it was enough. And God approved it. So why don't you come boldly to your high priest and humble yourself before Him and receive mercy 
in your time of need. And receive it. What does it mean to receive something? Take it. Take it. Lord, thank You for the mercy that You purchased for me. God, thank You that You are my high priest, not just the day I got saved, but for how long? Forever. Forever. And since He is going to be judge of the world, and since He is going to shatter all evil, you know what would be a good thing for you and I to do? Spread the Word. Guys, i got family that needs to know. One day, all rebels are going to be under His feet, crushed at the neck. One day, all rebels are going to be destroyed forever. You have right now, the Bible said today is the day of salvation. This is your day to say, Lord, I surrender. I know I'm still going to sin again. I know I'm still going to struggle with these things, but I'm going to surrender to You. I'm going to bow at Your name, and I'm going to confess that You are Lord. That's what it means to confess that Jesus is Lord, King of kings, Lord of lords, sovereign ruler over all, especially over me. And we got people that need to know that, and we got people that need to hear that.